What's your approach to problem solving at work? Do you have a method you use or do you just wing it? How do you adapt to different situations also? Our guest today is Emily Sander and she's here to give us insights into these and many other skills. Emily is a chief of staff, author and C-suite executive and ICF certified coach. She has a decade of experience across Fortune 500 companies, small businesses, and entrepreneurial ventures. Welcome, Emily, to the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. I'm doing well, Jose. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank you for asking. I mean, a bit, what's the word I'm looking for? A bit feeling a bit weird coming back to work and after the long holidays and trying to almost relearn what my function is and what I do for a living. <laughs> so there's a little bit of that going on. But overall, very good. Uh, hopefully you had a good a good time, a good time to maybe rest and, and enjoy the holidays or was it nonstop for you? We It was pretty nonstop. We actually went to New York and we saw uh, several Broadway shows, one of which was Hugh Jackman, seeing Hugh Jackman in The Music Man. And so we were oh, second wow. row seats um, and that was, that was pretty fun to watch. Um, he's very talented. It was odd watching Wolverine sing and dance, but he can indeed sing and dance. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, I mean, now that you mention it, it's so strange to realize that the, one of the toughest guys in Hollywood and in the sort of, I suppose, Marvel comic book universe is also this Broadway, amazing, talented dancer, <laughs> singer and everything. So it's it's interesting to, I haven't seen him ever in person or on a show. So that would be pretty mind blowing to, to see if I'm honest. Um, well, look, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time for this call. And very keen to speak to you about a number of things about things like problem solving, communication, and I suppose adapt, adapting to different situations to, to succeed at work or in your personal life, which are some of the areas you specialize in. But But before jumping into the nitty-gritty of things. Can you give us maybe a little intro to yourself and what you do? Sure. So I am the founder of Next Level Coaching. I am an executive coach, a leadership coach, and I've had uh, nearly over 15 years now in quote-unquote corporate America, working in uh, small startup-type environments to large multinational companies like Microsoft and Amazon. So have seen a pretty big variety of companies and jobs and roles. I've typically led and managed client-facing teams. So uh, client management teams, implementation teams, some operations teams and things like that. Um, I currently serve as chief of staff, um, which is helping our CEO and our executive leadership team stay aligned to the business's priorities and making sure they have the resources they need, et cetera, et cetera, um, which is a lot of fun. I'm also uh, a business coach, as I said, um, as well. So I work with business leaders from all around the world on a variety of topics, but very happy to be on your show. Um, Recruiting and hiring is, in fact, one of my very favorite things to do and also talk about. So um, happy happy to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for being here. And not that we need to dwell too long into into this point, but I, you know, one of the first things I noticed was that you're also, or at least in the past, also, you've had that experience in the talent space, Uh, sort of what are areas that you generally would say you specialize in or, you know, that you've had that you were particularly passionate about during that time in your career? Sure. One of the things I'm passionate about is recruiting good people, which is an easy thing to say, but a hard thing to do. 
So recruiting the right person for the, the team that you have and the stage that the team is on is often very, very difficult. So I love putting together interview processes and interview loops um, and things that you can do to try to get the highest probability to get the right candidate on the bus, so to speak, and also to make that experience a good one for the candidate and whether the candidate is brought onto the team or ultimately declined. Um, I think it's, it's a good goal for recruiters to have and hiring managers to have to make that candidate experience a good one and have it positively reflect the company no matter the ultimate outcome. So that's something that I'm definitely passionate about. Of course, of course. Yeah, I think any good sort of recruiter or person in the talent space, those would be sort of key sort of must have components, right? Because if you're not doing it for the candidate and and for your company and getting the right person at the right time and the most talented one, then there might be something, you know, there might be a bit of a disconnect, let's say, between your 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 employment and, and what you should be doing. So that makes perfect sense. Um, so tell me about sort of what you currently do in terms of the coaching side of things and and sort of what areas, broadly speaking, do you cover in terms of maybe the skills or knowledge that you provide to, to people? I suppose just if you can give us a broad sort of intro to that. Sure. I work with uh, business leaders, uh, usually early executives to C-level executives, but I one of my favorite uh, types of clients to work with are, in fact, first-time managers and then high-potential individual contributors. So those folks are fantastic if they're driven and, and wanting to get to their next level. Um, and I work with clients on anything from interview prep. So if they've got an all-day interview, panel interview, they're going in for an executive role, we do a series of sessions to prep them for that. And then uh, one of my, my longest client engagements has been, I was just looking at it, has been almost three years now and just working with this client on her leadership journey um, from a senior manager to she's now an AVP and she's uh, she's moving companies and, and working through that transition. So just uh, we have a weekly touch base and whatever is coming up for her um, at that time, we work through it on her mindset, on decisions, on personnel issues, um, anything that uh, she brings to the table. But you know, everything in between. We have a lot of uh, clients who work on confidence and, oh my gosh, Emily, I don't belong at this team meeting. I have nothing valuable to contribute. And we work with them on confidence and communication. Um, and a lot of people are going through career transitions. Um, that's always been the case, but especially now with, uh, you know, coming out of 2020 and COVID and everything else. And so making decisions on career transitions, what's the best for me and my family and then also, once that decision is made, how do I uh, navigate this change and navigate this new role or company the best that I can? So those are just a few of the things that I, I get to work on with, with my clients. It's so interesting you mentioned career transitions. I mean, at least from some of the few candidates that I've spoken to, but also in the past, it's kind of a big thing. And it happens to a lot of people that you don't even realize, right? I mean, a lot of people in the exterior, they seem... Like they have a good career, earning good money, they seem happy in what they're doing, but below the surface, they're thinking, hmm, is this what I want to be doing for the rest of my life? Or <laughs> is there more to my career? Or, you know, just that general feeling of not being happy with what you're doing. So it's good that you're helping people make that transition because it's often quite difficult. It's 
it's quite difficult because you don't have the skills to begin with to make that transition, but you need the job to get the experience and it might involve a pay cut in some form. Um, so it's I can relate to, to, to that in terms of the candidates that I've spoken to. Yes, for sure. I mean, I can relate to that as well. I think what success means to people, you know, different people will have different definitions, but the same person will have a different definition at different points in their career and different points in their lives as well. They'll have different priorities. So I do run into uh, a number of clients who were going after one thing very, very hard. They were driven, they had tunnel vision toward it, they were ambitious, and they achieved those things. And when they get to me, there's almost this sense of, I'm, I'm running after this thing, Emily, but I'm not being fulfilled. And, you know, I've, I've had all these external accolades, like you mentioned, Jose, I have, you know, the money, I have the nice car, I have the house, I have the fancy title, I have a whole bunch of people reporting to me, yet I get up and it's just kind of an empty feeling. And it might be what you were going after early in your career might have been all well and fine. And that was the, that was the very valid answer and proper thing to go after. And now it's just changed. And now it's changed slightly where you might want schedule freedom, or you might want a lower stress environment, or you might want to be more particular about the kind of company you're working toward and what their mission is and what they contribute to society. So all these things, or, you know, I want to work with certain types of people or certain types of teams, and that's more important to me than uh, what I was going after before. So I think that's a great point and something that comes into the mix for, uh, for all of us at, at one point or another. Sure, sure. And not that we need to go too deep, but just, just to follow up on that. I mean, what are kind of the first maybe two, three things that someone should do? Let's say if they're feeling that unhappiness, that need to maybe explore a new area, a new job, a new sort of almost career. I mean, what would you generally advise to, to people that are considering that, that step, I suppose? The first thing would be to double check. It's not just, hey, I'm having a bad day or you know this happened to be not the greatest week because we all have things in our jobs where it's like uh like I don't really love doing that but it is part of my job and sometimes that's how it goes and when we get stressed and tired sometimes it we make it a bigger deal than it is so i would recommend people don't don't make a huge sweeping decision based off an emotional knee jerk reaction to something that just happened to to hit you wrong um, the second one is if you have gotten to the point where, hey, this, this is coming up more and more, this just doesn't seem like it's the best fit for me, and you're looking at different opportunities or options, um, sit back and think about what do you do well? And that can be, you know, what, what comes easily to me? What do people look to me for? What do people, what am I the go-to person for? What am I known for? And also, what do you like to do? which most of the time overlap, but sometimes don't. Sometimes you can be very good at something, but it's just a pain and a chore to have to do that. And so I'd pay attention to what do you lose time doing? What would you do for fun? You know, what's your, what's your most favorite part of, of the role or the roles that you've had? And so putting those together, and they don't have to be specific activities or specific tasks. They can be, but just in general, if you look back at your career, and look back at the different roles you've had, what pops up, what bubbles to the surface, where, oh, across all these jobs, I really love you know, X, Y, and Z. 
And so, okay, let me make a note of that and, and see, you know, why I like that and what I would look for in my new ideal job or new ideal company and make sure some of those things um, that you're good at and that you like doing are included in that. It's so interesting you mentioned the part of just having a bad day because I have met some some people in the past, uh, either personal acquaintances or candidates, and they'll tell me oh, that they feel like maybe doing a career change or maybe that their current job is, is not for them. And then at some point, either they get a new manager or they go into a new team or they go to a new company. And then the problems kind of fix themselves and they realize, oh, okay, I'm back and I'm, I'm doing good. So sometimes it's just the, maybe, you know, just some examples I've seen, you know, the, the, the toxic company or uh, having a manager that doesn't quite match your values and your way of working or just your working setup or just the company you're in. If you fix those things, instead of just changing everything drastically, then maybe that's the right decision. Right. Yeah, it could be, you know, wait and see is a, is a strategy, you know, apply it in the, in the right ways and also your, your mindset and your perspective on things. But yes, and I think that's a great point that we often think that things are permanent when, they're, when everything is temporary, everything is in flux and everything will change eventually. So if you have a boss that's just not the right fit for you, you don't know what's, what could be happening behind the scenes. They could be, you know, gone tomorrow or promoted or take another job next week. So um, keep your keep your mind open to all of those possibilities as well. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, Emily, was basically you, you know, going through your work and 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 what you do, you talk a lot about problem solving and and how that's valuable and also how to problem solve to begin with, right? Can you give us an intro on how you help people and what you do in this this area to to, I suppose, problem solve effectively and, and maybe just an intro to what it is that we mean by problem solving, right? Because, you know, depending on who's using it, it can mean different things. <laughs> for sure. One of my favorite frameworks to use for this is three circles. Um, and three circles is a framework that you can use to say, identify what is the most favorable outcome. So a, a problem is presented and you have to figure out what is my most favorable outcome and then determine what you are gonna do from there. So three circles, you can think of three circles in uh, a row and it's a math equation. So circle one plus circle two equals circle three. So in circle one is that external event that drops in your lap or comes across your inbox. And this can be anything. Let's, let's say you're in a team meeting, you're leading a team meeting and all of a sudden, um, Joe has an angry outburst and starts to derail the meeting and, you know, is making everyone uncomfortable. And so this is a, this is a problem that you need to solve very quickly. And so your first step is to actually go to circle three and say, okay, what do I want to have happen here? What is my ideal outcome? And that could be, uh, I want to calm people down. I want to get Joe calmed down. I want to get the meeting back on track. And so then you go to circle two and say, okay, what do I need to do, say, how do I need to show up in order to get myself and the team to circle three? And so that can be a, a quick way to, to problem solve um, and, and go about it that way. Three circles is great because you can use it for almost anything. You can use it for long-term planning. So, hey, I have 
um, a big goal, what do I need to do in order to, to get to that? So it can be preemptive, it can be in the moment, and it's just a really good check to one, make yourself answer, wait, what do I want to have happen? Which a lot of people miss. And then it says, okay, so what do I need to do to give that the highest likelihood of happening? And that's circle two, and that's where you come in. Uh, a key point here is sometimes you will you will need to do things or say things in circle two that you don't feel like doing. You might, in that example, you might feel like shouting at Joe, like, hey, buddy, sit down, like we're, we'll get to you later. But that's not going to get you to your ideal outcome in circle three. So in circle two, it is the question, you know, what do I need to say? or not say, how do I need to show up or not show up in order to get myself and the team to the best outcome? Sure, just to, just to make sure I got the order right. So it's the first step, the external event. And then the second, sorry, the first step is the external event. The second step, I think is defining the, the outcome you want, right? Yep. And then the third step is, is this, defining the steps it takes to get to that outcome. Yep, we got it. So it's circle one plus circle two equals circle three, but the order you mentioned is correct. So circle one happens, you do a quick jump to circle three, and then you kind of reverse engineer to circle two. Oh yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, perfect. Yeah, it makes makes perfect sense. And what are some maybe examples where you've seen that that this has worked? I mean, you mentioned the the angry the angry outburst by that one colleague that's you know, some colleagues, they're more noisy than others, you know, or more, you know, opinionated. I'm pretty sure everyone that's often in meetings knows who that is, you know, that one sort of very noisy colleague. Maybe you're, you know, the people listening right now, maybe you're the noisy colleague, you know, but that doesn't necessarily have to be. But what are maybe some other uh, ways you've seen this applied just to maybe get a, a sense of how applicable it is? Sure. So one of my favorite examples is actually... Uh, I was, I was going through this with a colleague and we determined that in circle two, it was actually the best option for me to get angry or for me to pretend that I was angry or show that I was angry. So I'll tell you about that. Um, so I was leading uh, one of my teams a couple of years ago and one of my direct reports had a, a team that was showing up late to our overall team meeting. So our department meeting we had once a month and her team members were, were showing up late. And she was very frustrated because she had tried to get them to show up on time. It was a little bit embarrassing and a little bit disrespectful when you know they would, they would jump on and, and uh, kind of disrupt everything. And she finally said, Emily, I, I, I need your help. And I said, I'm happy to back you up. I'm happy to you know, be the bad cop and, and do whatever you think it's gonna take to get them, out, get them there on time. And she paused and said, could you be a little angry? Could you be a little scary and talk to them? And I was like, sure, absolutely. Um, so she called a meeting with them and uh, I came in and I, you know, didn't, I would never yell at anyone, but I was pretty stern. And I said, this is not going to happen again. You know, Felicia has talked to you about this and is disrespectful to the larger team when everyone else shows up on time and you come late. And, and you don't even come in quietly, you're disrupting people and distracting people. So this is not gonna happen again, understand? And everyone kind of nodded their head and, and didn't say anything. And um, I went back out and then Felicia, uh, my manager was, was the good cop and was able to be like, hey guys, like you just need to get there 
on time and you know I've been saying this but it's it's getting to a point where we really need to do this um and so that was a point where in circle one we had uh, people showing up late to um, a department meeting and circle three was we need them to show up on time and in this particular case uh, my manager asked me to step in and kind of uh, pretend that I was angry I was I was upset about it but um just be she said be a little bit scary Emily if you can I was like that's that's fine I'm happy to back you up just and also shout out to Felicia, by the way. But was there a particular reason for the team being late? Just out of curiosity. You know, they didn't have a good reason that I ever heard. It was just kind of um, uh, disorganization, maybe not leaving themselves enough time. It's a little bit baffling to me. You know, people can show up late every every once in a while. Something happens, meeting runs long. They, you know, had to go to the restroom or whatnot, but this was happening over and over again. And it was the same team and every time it happened. So um, not quite sure the reason, probably not a valid excuse uh, at that at that point. So, um, but they, they were never late again. So <laughs> the three circles, the three circles plan did work in that, in that instance. Yeah, definitely. Well, now that you mention it, I mean, I think it's surprising. And I was thinking about this not too long ago that so many workplace, let's say conflicts, right? Like workplace conflicts originate not necessarily because someone is, let's say, unskilled at the, let's say, job specific skills that they need to have to do the job. But a lot of times just because of these soft skills, interpersonal, personality related type 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 scenarios, right? Where it's more because someone just lacked the punctuality, right? I mean, you know, something along those lines, or maybe just wasn't able to communicate what they want effectively, or they were too shy to verbalize what they wanted to do, or they're too noisy, too extroverted, too assertive that they end up maybe creating conflicts with other colleagues. I mean, it's, it's interesting to say the least. For sure. I think, um, one of the things that I also work with my clients on is communication. And one of the biggest things that I see is people assume that everyone else in the world communicates like they do. And they assume that people want to be communicated in the same way that they do. And sometimes you find people who communicate with very similar styles and that works out great. But more often, um, someone might need something else from you. They might need to have information conveyed in a little bit different way. And you as a leader need to be able to flex to those different types of communication styles and be uh, self-aware enough and also interested enough in your team members and colleagues to say, okay, you know, I'm Emily, I prefer to have information teed up for me this way, but I'm talking to Jose and I know Jose likes it a little bit different. And so I'm going to try to meet him halfway and make sure my message lands in the way that I want it to for him. And that's a, a key piece as well. Yeah, I know you mentioned sort of, I suppose I believe in, in your in your work, having or understanding the lens through which someone sort of communicates, right? And, and I think understanding that sort of what the perspective is that someone uses when communicating is, is definitely crucial when, let's say you wanna get something done, but, but you need to adapt yourself, as you mentioned. I think it's it's interesting you mentioned the part about um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. So uh, not just adapting, but also understanding yourself or self-awareness is, is what I'm getting at, because 
look, I mean, I, I there's so many people that I've met that let's say when when you meet them, they say they communicate and they say something along the, lo- the, the lines of, yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a very direct person and I like to not beat around the bush, but just get to the point, right? But then when you really get to know them, they they actually quite quite heavily beat around the bush and, and not really get to the point <laughs> and drag on. And so there's, there is definitely that point of just um, before you sort of uh, communicate, first understand how it is you really communicate, right? And 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 then realize, oh, okay, so if this is how I truly communicate versus how I thought I communicate, then this is what I need to adapt with others, right? Absolutely. I have a funny story. So one of my coaching instructors, uh, when I was going through coach training, she was from New York and she was very direct, uh, very loud, uh, big personality. And she was talking about this. And as a coach, you have to be able to flex your communication style as well. And she was talking about, she grew up in New York. She was one of seven kids. And if you didn't speak up and you weren't forceful, you just didn't get heard. So that's how she learned to communicate. But when she spoke with other people, she understood that she might have to um, be a little bit slower with her speaking cadence and just give people time to think about their response because she was a very fast talker and a very um, quick thinker as well. And for some people, that's very overwhelming. And it's just like, okay, I'm just going to stay in my quiet corner. But the person who is more quiet and thoughtful might have some fantastic ideas if you let them uh, think about it and formulate a response. And that's how they're best comfortable. Um, so she, she talked about that and she used herself as an example, <laughs> which I thought, uh, which I thought was funny. And any idea sort of how do you identify what your own true communication style is? Let's say maybe, I mean, we all, to a certain extent, lack some good level of self-awareness and really understanding how it is that we communicate or or any other sort of personality or soft skill trait, right? So how do we make sure that we understand first who we are and how do we communicate uh, and then before we're able to adapt, let's say, any any sort of guidelines there? Hmm. Well, I'll go back to something else you mentioned around the lens that we see things through. So this is a, a, a larger theme, but I think fits with communication as well. So everyone has their own belief sets that they're working with. And a really good analogy I like to use is a contact lens. So if you think about a regular contact lens, you know, you put it on your eyeball and everything you see and everything you're taking in in the world is seen through that lens. So in real life, it's to make sure you can see properly with proper vision. But if we place it in the analogy of a belief set, you hold a belief set. Everyone listening to this has their own unique belief set. They're looking at the world through and they're also taking in all of the experiences that they're that they're going through. And, you know, belief sets are are made up from childhood and that can be your family and your friends and your education and where you grew up and who was influential in your life, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we go back to that um, communication or, or meeting example, and you can be sitting at a team meeting and five people, 10 people can be at that meeting and they're each taking in that meeting in 10 slightly different ways because they're all seeing it through their own lens. And so understanding a little bit about your own belief set 
is going to be important to understand, okay, I am inclined in this direction most of the time. I have these biases, you know, hey, I'm coming at this from one point of view, but there are 10 others at the table and just getting to know yourself. So I love, you know, you mentioned being self-aware and knowing yourself is, is half the equation in, in communication. So knowing what you're bringing to the table and knowing how you generally look at things and approach things is half the equation. And then being curious and interested about the other person. So you can gain a lot of information by just observing someone and interacting with them and seeing kind of how they communicate, what makes them comfortable, what makes them uncomfortable, um, what do they want, what are they motivated by, what tends to scare them, or um, you can see when someone kind of clamps up with anxiety and gets nervous. Um, so all of those things, you can gain a lot by just observing actively. And then of course, as you get to know people and depending on the relationship, I ask my you know, team members, my direct reports, like, hey, like, you know, what does this job mean to you? Where are you at with your career? What are your long-term goals, you know, inside, outside of work? Um, I love to know that stuff just as a, as a curious human, but also if I can align what they're doing day-to-day with their long-term goals or their overarching goals, that's golden because that's, that makes them more productive. It makes them more enthusiastic and it also helps the company um, be more effective. So I think uh, really, really taking inventory of, hey, you know, what, what lens am I looking through and, and what lens, uh, what beliefs are serving me well and what, what beliefs are maybe not serving me well. And saying, okay, I, I can switch out my lenses, so to speak, and put in a set where, okay, I am coming into different interactions with people. I'm coming into different scenarios with the best lens and looking at things through the best um, vantage point and perspective that I can. So that's the that's a, a long winding answer, but hopefully it it answered your question in terms of being self aware and taking a look at your belief set and what lens you're looking through. And then also being an active observer and being um, you know, a curious person about what interests other people. Of course, of course, makes sense. I particularly agree with the last, the second point you made, which is more around that having that curiosity and understanding other people. Because I think ultimately, let's say if you're in a team, uh, you truly just are your reputation right not necessarily what you think you are but you're just the reputation that you've built over time and it doesn't matter if you think or at least correct me if i'm wrong maybe you disagree and i'd be very curious to to hear that but uh, a lot of times i think look it doesn't matter if i think i'm a brilliant you know communicator (laughs) if everyone else like my 10 colleagues feel like they don't understand me or they don't understand what I'm talking or I drag on and I just sort of beat around the bush, then then that kind of means that if in their eyes I'm a bad communicator, then maybe I'm the problem. You know, I'm the common denominator or or <laughs> I'm the only one there that kind of needs to work on themselves. Right. So so I was thinking it, I mean, maybe one way of fixing this is also just through occasional, let's say 360 sort of catch-ups with your team and just making sure that you're you're aligned with how they feel and that you're not deviating from how it is you need to communicate or behave to 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 work effectively with them right that's a fantastic point and i think you should actually do regular um 
if it's a three, a full 360 feedback loop, that's fantastic. Um, but just asking people regularly for feedback on how you're showing up, I think that's a great point that not enough leaders do today. I've actually done formal 360s a couple um, times in my in my career for different team members, and there's always um, a surprise in there where we all have our blind spots. I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was coming across that way. Conversely, it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that people really like this. I just kind of assume that I do that and I do that, take it for granted, but people really appreciate that. And, and it's like, oh my, okay, so I'll keep doing that. I didn't know, didn't know that that was such a big deal in a positive way. So I would absolutely um, ask people for feedback on a regular basis. Um, I know that can be a bit scary and it's like, Emily, I don't want to ask people for feedback because what if they're, what if they're critical, but it gives you so much good information. It can help you accelerate your leadership skills and your leadership ability, um, you know, tenfold versus just trying to guess on your own. And um, one last point I'd leave on that is when you ask someone for feedback, it's an offering. It's not like the truth when they say something back to you, it's their perspective on something. And so you're like, okay, like, thank you for that information. And you can take the bits and pieces of that, that, you know, you want to and think are relevant that you can apply going forward. And if something's just, if you feel something is totally off the mark um, and they just, you know, kind of said it flippantly or kind of to, um, to try to do something else with it, you don't have to take that as, as gospel. So it's, it's an offering that you can choose to do what you want with. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, some people are scared to ask feedback. I mean, I'm sometimes scared to ask feedback, but, and I think, you know what, colleagues are there not to, they won't bite you, right? I mean, they're there to, generally they're there to help, to be nice, to get along, to, to work together, to help you develop um, and to return the favor if you help them. Right. So so that that feedback piece, it's it's just crucial to a certain extent. Um, wanted to go into one very interesting area that you that you talk about, which is how to adapt to different situations in order to stay resourceful, stay creative, and 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 I suppose stay impactful, right, uh, Emily? Um, and that's one of the areas I think also you focus on with your coaching. But maybe can you give us an intro to that? adapting piece and and how it is you help people generally speaking or what they can do to to adapt in difficult different situations that they're generally in yeah so i have a concept called called uh swizzle and um that's a made-up word that i made up but it's it's a, a way to be resourceful and it's a way to be creative and one one big example that um i share is i was i was listening to uh, interview with Floyd Mayweather, who is a boxer. I don't know anything about boxing. You don't want to see me box, but I was listening to this podcast interview and they were asking Floyd, you know, what makes you the best? What, what's your training like? What's your diet like? Um, you know, why are you the champion? And he finally said, it's not anything to do with my training. It's not anything to do with my physical attributes. It's my adaptability. I can adapt to any opponent to any round, to any punch better than anyone else. And that's what makes me the best. And I listened to that, like, oh my gosh, like that floored me because I'm not a boxer, but I can take that principle and apply it to things that I do in my world. So things in the business, am I adapting to, um, you know, different team members in the appropriate way? Am I adapting to 
um, team meetings I have on Monday and then I go to a team meeting on Wednesday and is that a different group with a different message and do they need to know different things? Am I adapting um, situational leadership and all of those things? So I love that because I can swizzle the concept of adaptability from boxing into my world. And um, I think that's an example of, of how to swizzle something and be resourceful. And also the general theme of adaptability is so important to leadership, and especially right now when leaders are having to adapt to market changes and regulations and health guidelines and things like that. So um, adaptability is, is huge and being a creative problem solver is always, always a good thing for a leader to have. And is there a particular sort of approach to, to adapting? I mean, I think we kind of just discussed the adapting through communication, right? But would you say there's a particular approach to, to swizzling or would you say it's just a case of almost intuitively gaining experience and, and building that up? Like, how would you sort of put that? Sure. So one thing is um, if you were to rate yourself on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, it's like, how adaptable are you? So when something, take an example, if something unexpected happens, what is your natural reaction? Are you like, oh, crap, you know, okay, I have to, this is bad. Um, I'm going to get stressed out. Uh, my team is going to get throttled. Or is it, okay, something unexpected happened. All right, let me figure out what this is. Let me find the options that we have. Let me find the new opportunities this, this presents because it always presents new opportunities as well. And let me make sure I'm at my best to lead my team through this change or through this decision. Um, so that's that's one thing to take inventory of is, you know, how, how do you do with adapt, adapting now? And then if you're at a 10 or if you're at an eight or nine, that's pretty good. So, okay, maybe you do pretty good. Keep, keep going with what you're doing. If you're sitting there going, ooh, like I give myself like a two or maybe a three, like, you know, when I have to adapt to something, I'm not very flexible. I don't roll with punches. I don't go with the flow. You might want to take a look at that and say, okay, this is an area that I want to work on as a leader. And that's a great, that's a great insight. So this is an area I want to work on as a leader. Let me go about doing that. And um, there's, there's lots of ways to, to help with that. A big one is mindset. And when something unexpected happens, a lot of people go, change is bad. And they'll slap that negative label on right away. So change is bad. This is horrible. I, I don't like this. And in reality, change is neutral. Change in and of itself is a neutral event. It's neither good nor bad. And I get a lot of blowback on this. So I'll give an example. If I said, Jose, you, uh, you just won a million dollars. Would you be sad? Would you be happy? I'd be happy, yeah. You'd be happy, but that's a pretty big change, right? So you just won a million dollars. So uh, change in and of itself is neutral. And so having that mindset uh, is number one. So, okay, like, got it. Change is here. Change is neutral. Um, and then eventually flipping it into, you know, change is, is normal and change can actually be a positive thing and finding the opportunities in that. Um, I think, too, knowing your bias or inclinations, let's take decision making, for example. So, okay, change is here. Change is neutral. But I have to make a decision. Knowing if you're kind of on one end of the spectrum, which might be, I'm going to make a very quick uh, decision that's based on just my initial emotional reaction. Um, and that's kind of what you tend to do most of the time. And then on the other side of the spectrum is someone who will 
sit there and think about it and think about it and ruminate on it, and maybe make a spreadsheet and maybe sleep on it and come back to the spreadsheet and color code the spreadsheet and ask 12 people. And they're sitting there forever and they're in analysis paralysis. Um, you know, if you're depending on the decision that you're making, you might have to slide across that spectrum to, to uh, the spot you need to be. So some decisions, you know, if they're irreversible, I would take extra time on that and be closer to like, let me think about this and ask for outside opinions and get people's counsel on it. If it's a reversible decision, you might say, okay, I need to do this quickly. Let's get, get something moving and get people able to take action on this quicker. And if it's, you know, kind of the wrong um, part or wrong uh, decision there, we can pull it back. So knowing your decision-making bias and where you generally tend to land on that spectrum, and then being able to apply the right decision-making style to what you have in front of you is, is big. And again, sometimes you will feel uncomfortable um, doing, doing one thing versus the other. If you like to think and think and think, and you have to make a decision more quickly than you're comfortable with, it can feel not great, but that's what's being called uh, of you as a leader. And then the other, other way is if you're used to making an emotional knee-jerk reaction, kind of fire aim, why weren't you ready? You might have to take extra time to be more thoughtful about that. And that's like, oh, it's uncomfortable, but that's what that situation calls of you. So being adaptable in those ways is, uh, is a great attribute and a great skill to develop for leaders. Makes perfect sense. I like how, I mean, how applicable this is, especially in these times, right? Because whether you need to adapt to changing policies around working from home or whether you need to adapt to our oh, colleagues maybe uh, taking time off or to changes around business or anything along those lines. I mean, adaptability, especially now, I think is is huge and quite quite underrated. I would say. I mean, uh, I think you know, as, as mentioned before, I mean, a lot of qualities like oh, being charismatic, being assertive, uh, those are like the sexier sort of sort of things that people want to show because it's flashy, they get instant sort of gratification, they get instant compliments. But I think adaptability, when, as, as you mentioned with the Floyd Mayweather uh, example, I mean, that's probably the most, one of the most advanced sort of soft skills you could say that, that you could have. And now you mentioned also a mindset change and, and also understanding your, your own biases. I think that's quite meaningful because um, as you mentioned, I mean, I can name a lot of examples of people that they're just really inclined to not change. Just that's kind of like their default. And you really can tell when you talk about them, about new ideas or new tips or new changes that you think like, hey, look for our workplace or the way we're doing things. How about we tweak this or we tweak that? And the instant reaction you get is no, don't think so. We're not going to do that. <laughs> So I think, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because it kind of, you know, if I think about it, it does make sense when when thinking about sort of previous colleagues or workplaces. Right. And I think two two sentences you can be on the lookout for is we've always done it this way and <laughs> and I've always been this way. That's just how I am. So I think if, if people have a, um, a, a adaptable and flexible and open growth mindset to, you know, their, their work and, and also themselves that's actually the mark of a good leader. It's, it's if you are asking for feedback and you're trying to come up higher in areas 
that's not because anything is wrong. You might be fantastic and you're just wanting to go further and wanting to enhance your skills even further and make yourself a better leader. And that is the mark of just someone who's going to do extraordinary things. If you're constantly learning and constantly growing and refining and enhancing and tweaking, that's just, uh, to me, when I, when I come across people like that, who have that, like, I just want to get better every day. I love that. And it's just exudes, exudes from them. And the energy that it gives their team is just phenomenal. So yes, I would absolutely um, keep those things in mind. Now, just to wrap up on that, on that point, but I wonder how much of, let's say the difficulty in adapting to different situations is due to just stress in general that can come outside of work, right? Because let's say that failure or lack of adaptability to change, it's because when change comes, you get stressed and you react, I suppose, negatively, either by, let's say, being, well, stressed or by being snappy, by, by getting loud with colleagues or just analysis paralysis, overanalyzing things. But I also wonder, I mean, what if you're bringing stress from outside of work into, or or it could be from external factors into that particular change event that's happening, right? Let's say maybe you're missing a lot of sleep, or maybe you're, you've, you haven't been looking after your diet, or you've been sick for a couple of weeks, or you've had some personal troubles, or maybe just you're dealing with, um, a slightly toxic colleague, and that stress is generating these other sort of symptoms, I suppose, or consequences. I mean, would that be something that you would say, yeah, that you've seen that before, or what do you think? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, burnout is is a real thing, and uh, making sure that you're aware and modulating your your energy levels. And uh, by that, I mean we all have a finite amount of emotional energy every day and every week and making sure that you know holistically how you're how you're showing up. So you mentioned uh, rightly so if you have something in your home life that's just very stressful and very um, you know a, a big event is happening and then you've got a toxic colleague at work, those two things aren't separated. those two things aren't siloed. they're all um, happening happening to you and happening through you. And so one concept people can take away is this one. protect the asset protect the asset and the asset is you. And so think of yourself as, you know, I, if you think of a, you know, a singer, her voice is her asset. And so if she has a big concert coming up, she'll want to rest up and maybe do some practices, but make sure that she's ready to perform at her best. In the same way, we as leaders are going out each day and um, we're performing. We're, we're being leaders in our community. We're being leaders in our family, being leaders at work and putting ourselves in best position to lead is really important. So, you know, everyone talks about sleep because sleep is hugely important. Sleep makes everything better. Um, your decision-making, your interactions with people, um, just, just how you feel. And, you know, if you don't get a lot of sleep, some nights that's gonna happen. And just knowing that like, hey, I'm a little bit more tired today. So if I wanna be, um, if I feel the urge to snap back at someone, maybe I should take a pause and take a beat and just make sure that that's really what I want to do. Um, and on the other side of it, you know, maybe I can try to find a way to go to sleep a little earlier, or maybe, you know, this evening I'm going to go try to do something that um, rejuvenates me. So it gives me more energy 
and maybe it's a hobby I like or something that just takes my mind off of things. But keeping keeping a, a scale of kind of where you're coming in on that emotional energy level um, is, is key. So protect the asset. And uh, another way to think about that or another thing to think about with that is if an unexpected event happens and you resist that, and so you're like, mm, change is bad, I'm going to resist that and get stressed out about it, you're expending emotional energy. And so if you instead do what we talked about before, which is, nope, that's a neutral event. Let me look at it for what it is. There's different trade-offs going on, different um, opportunities and options that are presenting themselves. You've spent less emotional energy. So you've, you've taken down the stress and anxiety of yourself. So now you have more to expend in other areas. So I think that's a, a great point to, to touch on and to leave people with is protect the asset. The asset is you. And it's not being selfish to take care of yourself. It's in fact, part of your job as a leader to take care of yourself and make sure that you're in best position to lead because people are counting on you. And you might be in a position where you're making decisions that other people can't. And so you need to make the best decisions that you can for yourself and for your team members. And they're looking up to you and they're looking to you to do that. That's a great point. That's a great point to wrap up on. Protect the asset because not just for yourself, but because the other people around you will benefit from that also. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, Emily, to find out more about yourself, where can we where can we find you? Uh, sure. Uh, you can find me on my website. It's nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. And I'm happy to have you there and read about some information on me if you're interested. I also do have a book out um, that was released last year. It's called Hacking Executive Leadership. And it touches on many of the themes and topics we hit on here a little bit in more depth. Um, and Hacking Executive Leadership is on Amazon, it's on Audible, there's a Kindle version, so anywhere books are sold. If you're interested in like learning about those different tools and concepts uh, like, I, like I do and geek out on, then you can check out that book as well. Amazing. And for the listeners, for more information about Emily, you can find the links to her website and book in the episode description. Emily, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. It was great fun speaking with Emily. You can find links to her profile and book in the episode description. If you like this episode, then please subscribe or follow. Thanks again and stay safe.